I analyze dreams to keep my head level Strip mining the system to stare at the devil A whiny voice flexing but it got no real power You tell them to flee and they'll be gone in an hour One words are like brass knuckles connecting to y'all's jaws of glass I ain't losing, I don't lose, so fight fair This is for the real ones who ears are open, no they're here There's a reason my voice comes through while you're sitting here Something gets a fine tooth, a bump on your way to work And other know the spirit is hitting in, so let it work Yeah Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned into Glowry Podcast. I'm your host, Monk. Today, we have a very special episode because my wife, the fabulous Mrs. Monk, will be on the episode. We have a great talk about hearing the voice of God, uh, the power of hearing God's voice in your life, and then how to thematically collect words for your life and how those words can direct your next steps in your life and give you clarity about certain things, but also help just in general personal improvement and in dealing with other people because ultimately that's what life is all about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Well, hello. I'm here with a very special guest. Can anyone guess who this guest is? Does my guest have any guesses? No, it's my wife. (laughs) Say hi. Hi. I just wanted to let you know that our most listened to episode was the very first episode. And you want to know what this episode has in common with that episode? What's that? You were on it. Oh. So. I guess apparently people like hearing you talk more than me. <laughs> yeah. Or um, they like the dynamic. I don't know. I, what, are your, what are your thoughts? I like to talk a lot, so I think some people are just forced to hear me talk a lot. Yeah. See, I have a captive audience for you know five to six hours every day, so they just have to listen to me talk. And most of the time, I put them to sleep. So, there's that. <clears throat> so, what I wanted to talk to you about today was getting words from the Lord. And I had an idea for another episode of just kind of walking people through the basics of that. Because there's some people, there's people listening that are from all varieties in all perspectives. There's Christians listening, non-Christians listening, and then through the perspective of Christianity, there's those who believe in the gifts of the Spirit, those who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and everything in between, you know. So, But um, you do this thing where you get a word at the beginning of every year that kind of frames your year or gives you a focus, correct? Yes, all right. So kind of explain that process and why you feel like that's a good practice. Um, I mean, I kind of, I just know a lot of people who have had a word for the year and a lot of people choose theirs. Um, I 
prayed about the word that I, um, I guess maybe in 2020, I started to realize my word for the year was grace and coming into the year 2021, um, in my small group, we, um, prayed about what our word for the new year was. So, um, in learning to have grace for myself, um, grace is kind of a revolving door of things. Like if you have grace for yourself, then you'll have grace for other people. And if you have grace for other people, then you'll have grace for yourself and just kind of goes around and around. And so what I learned was that part of having grace for other people is to learn not to just jump to being offended. And so when I prayed about what word was going to be my word for 2021, um, I chose, well, the word that, that um, I heard was unoffendable. And um, I started looking into it. It's not an actual word. Um, there was a book written called Unoffendable that a few people have talked to me about. Um, but otherwise, it, it was just something that I felt like the Lord was challenging me in every day. So being unoffendable was your word slash your challenge in um, 2021. Yes. And so, I guess in what areas or so, explain the concept a little bit of being unoffendable. Because it's like you said, if you go look up that word in the dictionary, it's not there. It's not like a real word. But you can find it in like certain lexicons. It's kind of like a niche Christian word. But if you go look it up in like Webster's or the OED, it's not there. But so explain that concept a little bit about like what being unoffendable is just generally. And then we can talk a little more about what that meant for you going through that last year. Well, the word unoffendable, you would think that the opposite of um, offense is defense, but going on the defense is really not a way to deal with people either. Like it's not a way to deal with um, things that bother you because um, it just brings you back into that cycle of um, offending, defending, offending, defending. And so when um, I really started to think about it, um, it, it was just learning to take what was coming at me and changing the reaction that I would normally have. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in order to be unoffendable, you have to be ready to um, really look at your heart and how you're handling your day-to-day. And honestly, I really don't know that I've really mastered it. I just feel I have more tools to help me in those moments. What do they say? Like, um, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Yeah. And 
that's, I mean, most of us live offended and we don't even realize it. We think that it is just a normal way to live. Yeah. Well, and you said something, it's, um, it's about changing how you react to it. Not necessarily, you might feel the same thing, but how you react out of that feeling is, is kind of what makes all the difference in some, some respects. Would you say that's correct in terms of your experience of like yeah. exploring being unoffendable? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then what, what would I say were like big, big differences you notice just like personally and like your reactions? So something I really noticed that I said, I would say a lot in my head and, um, is this phrase, I don't think she likes me. I would think that, and I, I mean, I don't think they like me. I don't think he likes me, but. Um, just in dealing with women, the reaction that women would give me, I would um, just in little things. Um, men, I don't tend to be as um, sensitive to how they react to me because I'm not trying to build these deep relationships with men um, like I am with women in, in women's ministry. And then I also come from a family. My mom had has five sisters. I have a ton of cousins. Many of us are female. So just, um, I just found a lot of times, like maybe I would feel left out and there was one person who was making me feel left out. And I would think, I don't think she likes me. Um, but in the midst of, it was really the Lord just saying to me, you need to quit saying that and get to the root of why you say that so much. And I'm thinking, I don't really want to do this. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't really want to face this head on. I would rather continue in my offense because and just keep saying it because... Getting to the root of the problem sucks. Yeah. So um, there, I remember... Um, I was helping with our ladies retreat and there were all these moments where um, in this specific um, place, I was helping um, set things up, set up decor, backdrops, um, stage decorations, things like that. And I tend to be the kind of person who I, I can take direction very well and I can give direction very well. Um, however, um, I, I also know that I'm very forgetful about things and, and so I can humble myself and understand that I don't do things perfectly, but there was one woman in particular that it felt like every turn I took, she seemed offended with me and I had really never even had a conversation with the woman. And so I kept like getting my feelings hurt. Like I would say, um, someone asked me to bring this in here and she would say, um, well, why do we need that? Or um, there was one point where I was asked to take something down and I asked her if she knew how I could 
take it down. And she is like, why are you trying to do that? And I'm thinking, well, because, you know, it was what I was asked to do. And, and so finally I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. And, uh, he said, well, how about you go and ask her if you've offended her in some way and apologize if you have. And I was like, no, thank you. (laughs) I don't really want to do that. Um, but I ended up going and um, doing that. And it almost seemed like it caught her off guard. And she was like, no, you haven't offended me. But I think what it did was it made her realize that she was so in the zone and and just working through the motion. She was forgetting that um, you can't just go through the motions and especially in ministry. You cannot just go through the motions and pretend like other people's feelings don't matter. You will lose volunteers left and right um, if you do that. And and this woman like kind of looked at me and she was like, I am so sorry. Have I been short with you? And she told me, you know, people have told me I need to do this and do that. And really like not only did it cause her to go into self-reflection, and just look at how she talks to people, it caused me to kind of go into a self-reflection and think like, how many times have I um, just, you know, been in my zone and felt like I had to get all these jobs done and forgot that um, it's okay to pause and, and thank someone or pause and apologize and, for the tone that I used or just anything. And, and I've gotten a lot better at it over the, over the last year. So, yeah. Well, I think too, if you focus on being unoffendable, it causes you to like bring into like a sharp relief what the offense is. And then you have to, just by being aware of it, you have, like by default you start working through why am I offended by that and then it mm-hmm. causes you to start gauging how you're interfacing with other people you know um, and I think particularly just for me though that wasn't my word but in working through like offense it forces me not to be on autopilot all the time and you know, it's kind of to what you were saying, you know, in the coaching world, in that profession, like you can get on autopilot because you're just doing the work and it's mm-hmm. about the work and you can totally get so wrapped up in doing the work that you don't even realize what you're acting like and what it looks like from the outside in. Yeah. Because you think you're totally justified. Well, I'm doing the work and this is part of the job, but you step back and you're like, am I being totally effective in doing this? And a shout out here, a good piece of it, probably the best piece of advice I got, you know, in kind of navigating that in that profession was from, this is a code name, but if he's listening, he'll know who I'm talking about. So Sporty Steve, shout out to Sporty Steve. Sporty Steve told me, he said, well, you know, you the goal is never to be too high or never to be too low. 
when you're in that position. And I think that in just dealing with people, that's kind of where you want to land most of the time. Not saying that you, you're a robot, but you can't get so low that you drag the whole ship down with you. Mm-hmm. You can't get so high and over the top that you start to lose control of your emotions. And you can do that in a positive way and a negative way. Um, and there's a time and a place to be vulnerable also. But that being in the middle when dealing with people is a good general, mm-hmm. I guess, path to take but I don't think you can sit there unless you're really aware of handling offense why why you're being offended by certain things um, and all of that so that was good advice I think in terms of being undefendable yeah and and it really makes you realize how often um, somebody else is kind of walking. You're getting the brunt of something that you have nothing to do with. Like your, I recently had someone um, say something to me that felt um, just really, I don't know. It it really made me question myself and my abilities um and when I talked with someone else about it and just said like this is how I'm feeling it's making me feel very um insecure and like I'm not good enough and maybe this isn't good for me and uh, and she looked right at me and she was like yeah that that whole thing has nothing to do with you like this person is in this place and um it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with what they're walking through and um and and it and you know it made me realize like even like you may have um a supervisor or a coworker or a sibling or a family member that um, is going through something and, and it's just not a good time for you to share your dreams and your vision because what they're going through, um, they can't support you emotionally in it. And the feedback you're going to get can be detrimental to you moving forward. Um, now, that's for someone like me. Someone like you just kind of powers through it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Some, well, I'll just power. F- and it, there's a ditch on both sides of yeah. it, too. Because you could take that word personally, not realizing. Because sometimes people are in a place, even if it's people you feel safe with and people you respect, um, they can just be going through things personally and they don't have the energy or the bandwidth even to really support you. Yeah. Um, And you could take offense to that, and it really is nothing personal. They're just in survival mode. You know, I feel like the season in our life when we were going through all the health problems with our daughter, we probably appeared that way to a lot of people. Yeah. But it was just like we couldn't support anybody. We couldn't really give in to anybody or doing anything because... Mm -hmm. 
we had one priority and that one priority literally took all of our time, all of our resources. And that's just how it was for that season. And then so coming out of it, you realize like, oh, there were other people in your life you might respect. And earlier in your relationship, they were in a place where they could really build you up and support you. But now they might be going through something and you just you could kind of keep keep that in check, keep that in the forefront of your mind. But you would react that way to somebody, you know, um, giving you a word like that. Whereas me and my my history and the way I'm wired, and this is something I have to work through and have been working through, is when someone would say something like that to me that might offend me, instead of me getting broken down about it, I would be like, oh, really? Because I'm competitive competitiveness i'm really high on the competitive scale i would take that on as a challenge and be like oh i'll show you (laughs) like you're gonna doubt me i'm gonna show you but which can be good but that also has a tendency to spark me into anger and i use the energy of anger to like accomplish all these tasks but I'm never actually dealing with the offense. I'm just using the energy of the offense and putting it towards something, which mm-hmm. can be damaging. And, you know, it's damaging in another way. The other thing, and it, I've done this with a lot of things in my life, I'll go 100 miles an hour in that direction and get way in deep into something just to prove something or just to prove somebody wrong. And then when I get to the end of it, it's like, well, why was I even doing this? You know? And so there's a danger on both sides of that. Like you can be offended and it just completely break you down, or you can be offended and go a hundred miles an hour, the other direction. And neither one is good because you like in both cases, we never got to the root of that offense. Yeah. You know? So, well, and it always reminds me of the vision I had of the cat. Um, I had a vision of what was this vision of the cat? I've told you the vision of Uh, the cat, right? uh, I don't know. Maybe you have, and I don't remember. Or maybe you were telling it to me, and and I was asleep asleep on the couch. Don't be offended by that. (laughs) I'm not offended. But I thought you were just resting your eyes, not oh. sleeping. No, well, it, it would depend. If it was after 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. I was sleeping. Um, before 8 o'clock, I was resting my eyes. <laughs> so <laughs> there is um, one day um, I was in one of my small groups, and um, we were praying, and we um, were... Uh, I had this vision of... Um, walking up to a gate and knowing that I wanted to get on the other side of the gate. Um, But there, every time I, as long as I stood still, there was nothing bothering me. But every time I tried to go and reach for the gate, this beast would just come up. It was a cat looking thing. Okay, you told me this. And every time I would try and grab the handle, um, the cat would just like come after me and the and the more I tried, the more I I would it would just like you know, 
I don't know, cat, do cats growl? I don't know, whatever that sound is that cats hiss. make, hiss? I don't know. Um, but it was like a, a big jungle cat-looking thing. And it every time I would try and go for the door, it would just come at me. But as long as I stood still, it didn't let, it didn't bother me at all. And I remember being like, I just want to get through this gate. So I'm, I'm just like, well, how do I get in? And I, and I finally, I go to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, can I just ride this thing in? And he's like, no, that's rebellion. And I'm like, then what is like, why does this cat keep um, trying to come at me? And um, he was like, it's, it's insecurity. You own your insecurity in a way that you don't need to. And you need to deal with that because it's like what you're seeing right now is it manifesting. And um, I came home and I'm telling Matt this story <laughs> about the cat. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm trying to open the gate and the cat is like attacking me. And he said. I was like, like make friends with the cat and ride it or ride it in. Yeah. He was like, you I would have just rode the cat in. And did, I was like, so that's rebellion. You didn't tell me that was rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it tracks because I have a rebellious streak in uh-huh. me. I am not rebellious. Would, full disclosure, but full disclosure, I don't know if you've listened to all the episodes, but I've I've talked about how I have a rebellious streak and going through that. But anyway, well, listeners, I do I'm not. Rebellious. I do not have a rebellious streak. If anything, I am obedient to a fault with people. Like if I feel like somebody has like a a um any chance of changing the course of my like supervisors or anything like that um there are times where i am obedient to a fault so i don't do well with um leaders who have no mercy <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're not like i don't do well with leaders who aren't very merciful um and and even the leaders that I have in my life who aren't who say they aren't merciful, they've kind of learned how to work with me because it I don't I don't know I don't always seem like somebody who needs a lot of mercy, but I'm I'm definitely a self doubter. And I'm the opposite. Yeah, I'm confident to a fault. Well, and even if I don't have the skills in something, you know, it's like, well, I can get it going and then learn the skills or figure the thing out while I'm going through the process. So, you know, so you were you you were confronting this jungle cat that was insecurity. Was there anything else? Well, it's been a long um it's been a long journey of figuring out what to do with it. It's been a long journey of figuring out what to do with it. But um, something that happened recently, um, I realized that if you can work with the Lord, 
and tame your insecurity, it, what it turns into is humility. Um, what I'm learning is, is that a lot of times I have felt like um, my insecurities, like feeling like I can't, I'm not good enough, I don't, um, nobody is nobody is coming and begging me to do things so I am not good enough or whatever. Um, it's all false humility. And something I've had to really realize is that like, if the Lord told you you can do something, one, you cannot do it in your own effort. But also, if he says you can do it and then you don't or you you allow man to make you believe that you can't, um, it's pretty prideful to think that um, you can't do what the Lord clearly said you can. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. What's the synonym for false humility? Pride. Pride, False yeah. humility is pride. And so a lot of times people will think, oh, well, pride, someone is confident in what they do to a fault. That's pride. Well, it can be. I think confidence and arrogance are two different things. Arrogance is someone who has confidence but doesn't have the experience to actually have earned that confidence. Mm -hmm. And that's a type of pride. But also rejecting the gift that the Lord gave you mm -hmm. is a type of pride as well. Mm -hmm. And that's what false humility is. Like you designed that thing and it was really cool. And instead of, and I, I congratulate you on it, instead of you just saying, oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. You say, well, no, it wasn't anything. The, the, the Lord did it all. Well, no, the Lord made you. Mm-hmm. And the like the Lord, like a proud papa, wants you to claim yeah. the thing that you made. Well, and you know? something that um, I've come to realize is it's okay for us to receive a compliment, but you don't get to receive the glory. It, it's just not, you can't handle the glory. The glory. <laughs> this is glory podcast. Yeah. Only God can handle the glory. He's the only one. Uh, there's a certain point where um, it, it, when you look at it, glory is in the world is praise and criticism. And only he deserves praise. And really, our criticism of ourselves or any that we receive of anyone else, it all needs to be ran through the cross too you know it, it all needs to be looked at through the lens of well what does God say about me yeah and I would say this is probably universally 100% true unless you're a sociopath because the mechanism that does this in your brain has disappeared but probably you know 99.99% of us all beat ourselves up internally with criticism in one way or another. And so I guess part of the walk, part of the walk of being a Christ follower is one, 
learning how to be hu- or humble and walk in humility, but also not to allow that criticism, that self-criticism to beat you up. Because um, really what that self-criticism is, is a, another word they have for that is the accuser. And the accuser has all kinds of different names. If you study it in your Bible, or even if you go to other traditions, there's this similar character. So you had this unoffendable year, Mm-hmm. And now that has led you into what for 2022 here at the, what are we, a third of the way into this year? So my word for this year is Selah. Um, Selah is used in the Bible. It's thought to have been kind of like an interlude or a pause um, in song. You see it a lot in Psalms. Um, I believe there it's used in maybe Song of Solomon also. Um, Selah is really, I mean, it's a pause. And I, I went into the year and I'm like, this is really cool. It's about pausing and reflecting. And then I had this major thing happen where... I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. It was one of those things that if somebody else told you about, you know, um, it happening, you would be like, well, that's kind of insignificant. But for me, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to what is next in my life. And I'm realizing that I am living in a pause right now. My kids are both going to be in school next year. Um, I I don't I don't know what I'm going to do next. I always kind of had this plan of um, finding a full time job and all this stuff, but um, I had a situation where I did all these assessments and it came back, and I'm like, I don't know who would hire me. And I don't know, and it really put me in a place of like, from the standpoint of the world, I felt really discouraged. Like, here is what is valuable and practical in our culture. And here are the skills I have. And it's like, unless I want to start my own business, which based on these assessments, I wouldn't do well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I mean, it just sent me kind of spiraling. And I had a friend sit, I sat down with um, a mentor of mine and talked to her about it because I just could not see, you know, I just could not see how anything good was going to come from this. And she said, your word for the year is Selah, to pause. And you know that's what it's about. But in, in scripture, what does Selah mean? Well, it's why it's there is so that you go back and you reflect what was just written. And so then you think, of, she said, now I want you to think about some of the practical reasons we pause so 
you maybe pause the TV because you have to go to the bathroom or, you know, like there's a physical need that you have. So sometimes the Lord puts us in a pause for a reason. Um, Sometimes we let that pause turn into a wilderness. And sometimes the pause is because you're in the wilderness. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, they they definitely overlap, but... Well, if Israel would have paused in the wilderness <laughs> and took out their map <laughs> and walked in one direction for a few days, they wouldn't have been there for 40 years. But, but you know... It's a similar deal. Much like Israel... Um, I, I started to realize that for me to go into the promised land that the Lord has been speaking to me about is terrifying and the giants are far bigger than I can imagine. Um, and so that is what I feel. And so when I really, I mean, it didn't take but a moment for me to have a vision of what when she said think about what the pause means it was like immediately I saw we have this road that runs by our house and it has a sidewalk on it and our kids will ride down our, the sidewalk on their scooters or their bicycles but they'll and, and for a little bit they get ahead of us and it's not a big deal but then as they start getting further and further, I there's something in me that's like they need to stop. And I can think of a million reasons why they need to stop. And I'll start shouting, pause, pause. I don't say stop. I say pause. And I saw that. And there are a lot of times where they just keep going and it gets louder. And I am screaming, pause. And... And I could see that moment and realize that they know my voice. They're just not listening. And so I had to realize that in this pause, the Lord has me here for a reason. And it is my protection that is his reason for it. His reason for keeping the the Israelites, I mean, he had to protect them from themselves over and over and over. And then, you know, it, so to be in this pause and it doesn't make it any easier, but knowing that I know what his voice sounds like and that I can trust him helps me understand that it's okay to not know what's next or why he won't tell me. Yeah. Well, you know, here we go. Another coaching analogy. (laughs) But um, when when you're training athletes, right, you have your training sessions and you have your progression that you do, but the athlete is not going to reach their potential or get the maximum benefit from your training without a period of recovery. Mm-hmm. So like, and they've done study after study on this, that the recovery is actually more important in most cases 
than the actual training. Like you would get more benefit if you trained a little bit and had a lot of recovery than if you trained all the time without any recovery. That's why I only work out once a year. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that's why you're stronger than me. <laughs> no, but uh, to your point, right, just in that little analogy, it's the pause in terms of the recovery for the athlete where all of the gains happen. And if you don't have that pause, you open yourself up to overtraining, which can lead to burnout or injuries or, you know, all kinds of all kinds of things that aren't good. And so I don't know. It's interesting taking a pause. I always think back to, you know, like the musical interludes, some of the some of the good albums, you know, mm-hmm. back when people used to record full albums and um, a band, some of y'all might know, just in particular that just sticking out to me right now, and maybe it's because we're talking about spiritual stuff. It's Soulfly. You ever, you know them? Ever heard of them? Maybe. They're like a Brazilian thrash metal band. So it's like heavy music, you know like detuned guitars and they're yelling most of the time. Yeah, that sounds like something right. I would love. Right. But um that was sarcasm. But anyway, like this heavy music, but on all of their albums, they usually have two or three of these interludes and they're like these acoustic jam sessions where they're on the sitar or whatever. And it's just like for some reason, I can hear I can hear some of these inner. I remember some of these interludes more than the actual songs on their albums. But you think about like what was the point of that interlude? And it's such a for them such a contrast to the style of music they played. But it was like oh, it's kind of like a way to uh, let you digest everything mm-hmm. that just happened. Yeah. So that's good. Any other thoughts um, you want to share? No. I mean, no, as long as you don't have any more questions. No, I don't have any questions. I mean, I have questions, but not questions. Okay. You know, what were my words this year? Oh, refract, reflect and refract. Those are my two words for this year. Mm-hmm. And so those have been interesting because yeah. they go hand in hand. But I think we've reached a good stopping point. So okay. hopefully this will be our um, most listened to episode. <laughs> Maybe so. 